you guys for being here. This is, this is a really good crowd tonight. And on my way over here, I actually prayed. I was like, for people to show up. Because, like Kyle said, this is real. And every believer needs to go through this. This victory in spiritual warfare. But I, I appreciate you guys, your faithfulness to, to, to come and, and, and dive into session five. And it's, it's about the shield of faith. And if you haven't been here the past four sessions, we know that God has provided us armor as we deal with these spiritual battles daily. In Ephesians 6.14, we talk about the belt of truth. And that belt of truth is God-based knowledge. And Paul says that you've got to firmly fasten the belt, God's truth, around your waist. The second piece of armor was the breastplate of righteousness. And what that righteousness is, is it's that righteousness is what was imputed, what was credited, what was given to you at the day of your salvation that's protecting your heart and it's covering your heart. Now, last week, we talked about the shoes, the shoes of the gospel of peace, having your feet in the gospel of peace and how true peace comes from the gospel. Now, this week, what if I told you that I would give you something big enough and wide enough that it would cover you and protect you? That's what Paul has in mind when he is describing the shield of faith. So we're going to dive into session five. can't believe it's been already four weeks, but session five on the shield of faith. Now, our scripture memory comes from Hebrews 11.6. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. That's from Hebrews 3.6. So here's the pieces of the armor of God right here. And we've divided it into two kind of two sections here. We talked about the first three sections. We talked about the belt. We talked about the breastplate. We talked about the shoes. But if you notice the verbs in this, having, you've got to put on those three pieces on the left-hand side every single day. And now we're getting into, we're going to dip into the right side. That's the shield of faith and the helmet and the sword of the Spirit. And if you notice, like I said, the verb, it says to take up. Take up means as needed. When you come through different situations, Paul talks about taking it up, putting on or picking up the shield or putting on the helmet, or the sword. So that's what we're talking about 
on these two categories. So we're going to be in session number five, the shield of faith. And on the left-hand side is the picture that we've been kind of using for the past couple of weeks. It's the Roman soldier that's, that has all the armor on. He's ready for battle. He's all armored up. And on the right-hand side is a picture of the shield. Now, let's look at some characteristics of the shield here. And I borrowed a shield from someone to kind of give you a, the visual learners, because I'm more of a visual learner. I like to see things. And I, see, I want you to see how massive this shield was. The shield was about four feet tall. It was about two and a half wide so that's that's really big it's made it was made when it was created it was made of several pieces of wood that was glued together in today's time you think of that as, as plywood at the top and going around and you can see right here that it was outlined in, in, a, is in a metal type material, maybe an iron or bronze. Now there's a, there's a piece of wood and you can, you can see it right here on the left hand side of that picture. There's a piece of wood that goes on the underside of it. And that piece of wood went from right side to left side and that's what he would hold it with. And right there in that middle this middle area right here is a place where it protected that hand. And that was called the umbo. It was, a, it was sort of a metal-like material as well. Now, this shield right here and their shield weighed about 16 to 20 pounds. So that's really heavy. Some of these shields were outlined or covered in a leather type material or animal skin and let me tell you the reason why they did that if they knew that their enemies was going to fire these fiery darts at them they would soak that shield in water and when those darts hit that shield guess what it would do it would extinguish those darts so this is sort of some of the characteristics of the Roman shield and kind of give you a visual idea of what it kind of looks like. Now, Ephesians 6.16, this is where we're going to talk about the shield of faith. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the Greek word for shield is thurion. And the Latin word for shield was scutum. So now we know that the shield is the first line of defense. Or, like I said right here, the first line of protection against the enemies. When you're positioned right behind, when you're positioned correctly right behind that shield, it covered you. So the shield was the first line of defense or first line of protection against the attacks of the enemy. Now, like I said, we're going to kind of jot down some characteristics of some sh the shield right now. The shield was about, like I said, four foot tall. 
weighing in about, or uh, about two and a half feet wide, weighing in about, about 16 to 20 pounds. But what was so unique about it is that back in those times, it was curved. It was curved in nature. And let me tell you why it was curved in nature. If you have a flat shield like it is right there, and let's just say your enemy catapulted a rock or catapulted a boulder, whatever they do, and you're behind that shield, you're going to take a lot of brunt force right there. But if it was curved, those arrows or those darts would kind of defer that energy from the side. So that's why it was curved in nature. So we know that the shield was meant for defensive purposes. It was meant for defensive purposes. And the middle of the shield, right there in the middle, right there in the front, was called the umbo. And like I said before, it protected that hand that was holding up that shield. It was called the umbo. Now, the Roman shield was all, wasn't always used for individual purposes. Sometimes they would combine the shields, and sometimes they would um, have more than, more than one row. I'm going to show you a picture in just a second of what they call a testudo formation. And a testudo formation, testudo means tortoise, and it, probably everybody in here have seen a turtle or tortoise before and have they had that shell that covering that protects them at the top well here is a picture of a testudo formation right here and you can see like i said in the previous slide it's not always used for individual purposes look right here the front row right here would have their shield up so it's protecting them from the front also these next couple of rows right here would have their shield on top. So now you have protection from the front and protection from the top. That was called a testudo formation. Now, so far, we've looked at three different pieces. Three different pieces of the armor that you need to wear that you need to be dressed for in this thing called spiritual warfare. We looked at the belt. You need to keep the truth with you. We looked at righteousness, the breastplate. You've got to keep righteousness with you. And now we've looked at, last week, the shoes. And you need to keep the shoes of peace. You need to keep peace with you. So, like I said before... This verb tense from those three things, those first three pieces of armor, says having. Having the belt of truth. Having the breastplate. Having shoes of the gospel peace. And that means that you've got to put them on daily. It means at all times they should be worn. But notice how the verb changes from having to take up. Take up means as needed. 
It's that day that you're under attack when you feel the most exposed that you've got to take up that shield. You've got to take up that shield of faith. But there's one catch to this. It's your responsibility to do that. God's not going to drop it down and give it to you. God's going to make it available for you, but it's up to you to take it up. Also, notice the priority. In Ephesians 6.16, it says, in all circumstances, not some. Some translations, they say above all. But in all circumstances, not some, but in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Meaning, any time that you're being attacked, don't forget to take it up. Now, we know what the shield is now and the characteristics of the shield. But the shield of what? We've got to know what faith is. Now, if you notice how every piece of armor was put together by truth, by righteousness, by peace, and now by faith. Greek word for faith, it appears just in the New Testament 240 times. And the Greek word for faith is pistis. And that means faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a biblical definition of what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. So faith is the key. Faith is the key in all this. In order to know what we are to shoot ourselves behind, we need to fully grasp what faith is. The shield itself is actually faith. And it's very critical in achieving this victory in spiritual warfare. Faith is the key. Faith is defined as finding God's truth and acting on it. Faith is believing God is telling the truth. Hebrews 12.2 Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, all these verses, Hebrews, Galatians, 1 John, they point to one person that is the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
And that one person is Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, faith is just not believing that God is real. Because look what James says in 2.19. Demons also believe that God is real. Demons also believe that God exists. So true faith, true faith, is believing in everything that Jesus did, that he died in your place for your sins. Now, he's also going to help you. If you trust in him, if you put your faith in him, he's also going to help you in this road of sanctification, and we talked about that last week. He's going to help you grow spiritually if you trust in him and if you put your faith in him. He's going to help you grow spiritually. And he's going to help you be more like him each and every day. Now, James 1, 2 through 8 says that you're going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. But remember, faith is that protective barrier between us and the attacks of Satan. We're going to look at some people in Hebrews that their faith was tested. Some people calls it the heroes of faith. Tony Evans refers to Hebrews chapter 11 as the hall of faith. And we're going to see how through every single one of these situations, how their faith showed up. Now, I apologize for that. That's, that's, anyway, um, this right here, sorry you can't see it, is the heroes of faith. In Hebrews 11, all these people reached down and they picked up their shield of faith instead of leaving it and leaning against the wall. What would happen to a Roman soldier if he knew that that shield is going to protect him, but he never takes it up? That's the same for us. That's the same for Christians. Faith is believing so strongly in God's truth that it shows up in the way that you live. And in Hebrews chapter number 11, Verse, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Hebrews eleven eight says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Hebrews 11.11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Hebrews 11.21, by faith, Jacob blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And there's, it could, there's a lot more. There's a lot more of this. 
And finally, in, in verse 24, Hebrews eleven twenty-four, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you got a second, I suggest you go read Hebrews chapter 11 on all the people in the Bible that live by faith. Now, we know what faith is. Now we got to know what faith is not. Faith is not feelings. A lot of people live by emotions. Faith and feelings are two different things. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is not based on your five senses. It's not like, show it to me and I'll believe it, or let me feel it and I can trust it. Faith is not like that, and any faith that is supported by evidence of the senses is not true faith. So feelings, these feelings that we're talking about are circumstantial. Faith is different. Circumstances could be, I feel happy of what's going on in my life, or I feel sad when I look at my bank account. That's, that's circumstances. It's always circumstantial. Feelings are always circumstantial, but faith is a choice. One is dependent, the feeling is dependent on your emotions, and the other one is dependent on the choice that you make, despite our emotions. Let me read Luke 5, 1 through 11. And it says, And when he finished speaking, we're talking about Jesus, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let, the now, I'll, let, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Look what Peter did. Peter clearly didn't like what Jesus said to do, but he did it anyway. And at that day, Peter discovered that faith is on acting what, what God says in spite of feelings. Now, some Christians can sometimes doubt. They are called those of little faith. In Matthew, Matthew 8, verse 23 through 28, it says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Proverbs 3, 6. 
says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Faith begins by knowing the truth and then acting on the truth. Just as Proverbs 3, 6 says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the source of your faith. Now, faith, remember, faith is that protective barrier between us and the attacks of Satan. And if we can understand now what faith is, we can have victory in this thing called spiritual warfare. Now, Ephesians 6, we're going to talk about Satan's fiery darts now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the purpose of the shield of faith now is to extinguish, or some translations may say quench, the fiery darts of Satan. Paul warns us that Satan is going to shoot these fiery darts at us. But guess what Scripture says? Scripture says that we are to extinguish, we are able to extinguish or quench, not some, but all of those darts, if we take up the shield. We can extinguish all of the darts that Satan's throwing at us. Now, this is a picture right here. This could be you. Okay, this could be your life right now. You're feel, you feel like Satan has these darts that's throwing at you, that's, that's, that's coming in every which way. But guess what? God has given us the specific piece of armor to shield us, to shield ourselves, and to protect ourselves. Now, during this earthly life that we live in right now, there's going to be thousands of these little deadly arrows, these little deadly darts that's coming from Satan, that's coming from these demons. But these kinds of arrows are meant to burn up your defense. So it will open up other kinds of attacks. Most of these darts, if not all of these darts, are going to be fire-tipped or hellish balls of fire. Back in the day of Roman time, they would dip some enemies or some would dip the tips of their arrow in this stuff called pincher or a tar-like material. They would light it a fire, and then they would shoot. But Satan, Satan most of the time, or if not all, these darts are going to be fire-tipped, and it has one purpose. It has one purpose. Satan wants to break all hell in your life. It wants all hell to break loose in your life. Now, let me read what Tony Evans says about the fire tip. It said, in Western films, 
cowboys circled their wagon trains so that they, they could hide behind them and shoot at the Indians. In the early days, it wasn't a fair fight because the cowboys was the only ones who had the guns and the cover. The Indians' arrows were no match for the cowboys' bullets until the Indians lit their tips of the arrows and aimed at the wagons. Those fiery arrows burned down the canvases off the wagons, exposing the cowboys behind them. The cowboys had no place to hide. Fiery darts are meant to dismantle things in your life so that you become open for any other form of attack Satan wants to send your way. However, the shield of faith is there to protect you from the attack and put out your fire. So, Satan wants to dismantle things in your life so that you become open for any other form of attack. Tony Evans puts it this way. It says, these burning arrows that Satan is is trying to attack you with depict every kind of attack launched by Satan against the people of God. Every kind of temptation, every kind of ungodly behavior, every kind of doubt. So, let's look now at the very first arrow that Satan threw in humanity, against humanity, in Genesis 3, 1. And it says... Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Now Satan throws his first dart at Eve, and his first dart is doubt. That's usually one of Satan's most favorite and used tool is the attack of doubt. Now, often, maybe you're, you're, you're very tired spiritually. You're tired physically. Your shield is going to become very, very heavy. But there's one thing that we've got to rely on. And we've got to rely on our source of faith. Remember that God's not going to drop it down. God's not going to drop the shield down for you. It's available. He has it available for you. It's your job to take it up when these attacks happen. So it says, above all, take it up. Take up the shield. The shield of faith is there to protect you from this attack. And it also is going to put out the fire. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Now, that passage right there tells us that there is a secret to this victory in whatever we're facing in this world. And that secret is our faith. 
that secret was on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus accomplished this ultimate victory. So we've got to make sure we continue to focus on the source of faith. Or the, our source, which is Jesus, the source of faith. So focus on your source of faith. It's not faith that you're going to focus on. It's not faith itself. It's your faith in Jesus. Now, we go back to Hebrews 12, 12, or 12, 2. It says, look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. Now, as we wrap things up, how do we take this shield up? How do we take it up? We need to understand that faith doesn't make God move. If you think that faith make God, makes God move, you're going to be searching for a way to get more faith. All faith is, is access. It's access to what God has already done. Let me read Matthew 17, 20 and Luke 17, 6. Matthew 17, 20 says this. It says, Because of little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here, to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Luke, Luke seventeen six says this. And the Lord said, "If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you." Jesus said that the faith size of a mustard seed could move a true mountain or move a tree. In other words, what's he saying? A little faith will do you. Now, what you don't need more of, you don't need more faith. You need more, you need to know more truth. And that's because Faith is the power, or I'm sorry, it's the point of access, not the source of power. The power is what God has already declared and done in grace when it deposited that seed of his life in you. Now, what does any seed do that you water it and you nourish it? I'm going to read in... And, and what Tony has to say, Tony Evans has to say about these seeds. He says, as you tend them with water and sunlight, something that began as small as a mustard seed grows and grows and grows. Likewise, as you feed the seed of faith within you with the attention to God's truth, and his presence, it expands and grows, offering you access to all God has in store for you. The role of faith is to draw upon what grace 
has already put on deposit. So as you feed your seed of faith, it's going to expand. With God's truth and his presence, it's going to expand and it's going to be growing. Now, that growth is going to be taken many different forms. It's going to start formating, formatting these spiritual habits. It's going to take away, it's going to deny your, your, your sense of temptation or the denial of self. And as, you, as that seed continues to grow, all because faith is the access point for our victory. Now, Habakkuk 2.4 says this, The righteous will live by faith. So to live by faith means that faith becomes your way of living. Faith becomes your way of thinking. Faith becomes your way of doing things. And this is the kind of faith that's going to show up when we walk, when we move, when we talk, when we make decisions. That's the kind of faith that we want. And that's what the Bible says, walking by faith. Now, as we close, God reminds you that he has never asked you to do anything that he is not absolutely certain that you can do through him. So trust him. Pick up this shield. Pick up this shield of faith. Have on your, your belt of truth. Have on your breastplate of righteousness. Have on the shoes of the gospel of peace. And with all those combined to what we're going to go over these next two sessions, we're going to grab that victory that has already been won, that's already been gained for us. Now, next week, we're going to go into the second piece that's on that second column that we should take up in special situations. And that's the helmet. So it's... To this point, Paul has spoken about the first three pieces of armor that we are to wear all the time and never take off. But beginning with a change in the verb, he now talks about the pieces of armor that we are to pick up as the situation and circumstances call for them. You might think of it like a baseball player's uniform. During the game, he wears the uniform all the time, but he picks up the bat or the glove or the batting helmet as the occasion is appropriate. He now wants you to pick up the shield called faith. There's a lot of misunderstanding today about what faith is. Faith is more than intellectual understanding and agreement. It's more than a spiritual feeling that you feel at any given moment. 
You can only measure whether you truly have faith by the movement of your feet. Faith has to function in order to be real. It can't simply be talked, it has to be walked. So let's look at this shield of faith, which has been so constructed to handle any of the fiery darts, any of the spiritual attacks that the enemy sends your way. And be assured, he's got plenty with your name on it. you tell me I have if I'm a Christian. My assumption is that you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you have nothing to access. But if you are a Christian, if you have responded to Jesus Christ, how do I access this victorious living in the midst of this spiritual battle that I'm experiencing in my physical world? How do I access it? He answers that in verse 16. He says, in addition to all, having taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. He introduces us to the next piece of armor called the shield of faith, or let's put it another way, the shield which is faith. The shield is actually faith itself. I want to today clarify faith for you because many of us have misunderstood faith, misused faith, misunderstand faith, and yet faith is critical. Because he says, leading off verse 16, in addition to all. In other words, and I know I've told you a lot so far, but if you grab this one, you got it all. That this one, he says, is key. Faith. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith. Now, notice the verb, take up. The first three pieces of armor, he didn't use the word take. He uses the word to be. In the text, it says having in verse 14 and 15, having the belt of truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, having the shoes of the gospel. But now he switches verbs. The first three are something you wear all the time. You keep truth with you. You keep righteousness with you. You keep the peace of God with you. You keep those with you. But now when he comes to this next piece, the shield of faith, he says that when you pick up, you take. The first three you keep with you all the time, the last three you pick up on an as-need basis. It's like a baseball player, he wears his baseball suit during a baseball game, he never takes off his uniform, but he picks up the bat when it's time for him to bat. He picks up the glove when it's time to go to the field. In other words, he picks up those as needed. The first three you keep with you, you never take them off, you never change those clothes. But now you must take up the shield of faith. Please notice, you got to take it up. God won't take it up for you. This is your responsibility. He calls it a shield of faith. A Roman soldier had a shield. When it was time for him to fight, he would take his shield. The shield was two and a half feet wide, four feet long. 
This shield was so situated that a Roman soldier could crouch down and hide his whole body behind it. In other words, the shield covered all of him when it was positioned correctly. His full body could hide behind it. In fact, when you see them in battle, sometimes the Roman soldiers would link their shields next to each other and a whole army could crouch down and hide behind it. Because the shield of faith would handle anything that the enemy threw at it. Whether it was a javelin or whether it was an arrow. So the reason why this particular armament is so critical is that it covers all of you if you're behind it properly. He says, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith. When do you need to take it up? Well, he's told us earlier on the evil day. The evil day is the day all hell breaks loose in your life. It is when you're under attack. It is when the finances are so low, you don't know how you're going to make it. It is when you've lost your job and there's none in sight. It is when everything is breaking down emotionally. It's the evil day. It is the day when all hell has broken loose in your life the day of your attack, on that day, you need to be covered by a shield which, calls, which is called faith. When they launch space capsules into the air and they come back down into the atmosphere, they would burn up except that they have a shield around them. This shield, in light of the heat breaking into our atmosphere, keeps them from burning up. On the evil day, you feel like you're going to burn up. He says, but if you have a shield, you'll make it in an atmosphere of chaos. So the question is now, what is faith? What is faith? Let me give you a simple definition of faith, as simple as I can get it. Faith is acting on the truth. Faith is acting on the truth. Now, if you don't know the truth, or if you don't act on the truth, the word faith is a meaningless phrase. It's talk. Faith is acting on the truth. So in order to have faith, you got to find the truth. If you, and the truth is God's view of a matter. So if, you don't, if you're not interested in discovering God's view on a matter, forget having a discussion about faith because faith is only faith when it's tethered to truth because when it's tethered to truth it knows the right decision to make confirmed by the shoes of peace because you exercise the real meaning of faith faith is merely acting like God is telling the truth a lot of people talk about faith who are not connected to the truth and wonder why faith isn't working so guess what they do? They go around looking for more faith. Thinking if I can get a little bit more faith, maybe I can get a little bit more help. But you cannot have faith and get help if your faith is not tied to truth. And truth is what God says about a matter. Faith is not necessarily feelings. You can feel full of faith and have no faith. You can feel faithless and be full of faith. Faith is not based on how you feel. Now, how you feel may be consistent with faith in a given moment, but at another moment, how you feel may have absolutely no correlation to faith whatsoever. 
Because feelings are circumstantially driven. You feel based on how things are going. If things are going well, I feel good. Dun, 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 dun. If things are not going well, I feel bad. Because circumstances dictate feelings. And, and, and you can't always control that. You can't always control that. I am glad my faith is not tied to my feelings because then my faith would be as up and down as my feelings are. And we're all up and down to various degrees on the feeling side. So I want to get feeling out of the definition of faith, although sometimes it is consistent with faith. Faith is acting on the truth, whether I feel the truth or not, whether I like the truth or not, whether I agree with the truth or not. Faith is acting on it. So you can feel faithish and be faithless. You go to the movie, it's a horror flick. It's a horror flick. You know those monsters aren't real. You know that. You know the zombies coming out, out of the grave aren't real. Yet you're sitting there, mm, ah, covering your eyes, can't sleep because you remember the show, and you know it's not real. You know that. You knew it before you went in. You knew it while you were watching it. You knew it when you left, and you're still all shook up. That is because the masters of the media so constructed the lie of the horror film to make you feel like it was true, even though intellectually you knew none of that was real. But they manipulated it so and made it seem so real that it governed your feelings. You will never overcome the movie until your mind overcomes your emotions. Because your emotions are controlling you based on a lie that the movie perpetuated to you. And as long as they can keep the lie in your mind, they can keep you up at night and you're being kept up by something you knew wasn't true. When we allow faith to be defined by feelings, we will always be confused. So let's put faith in the objective place where it belongs. Faith does not make God move. Let's get this straight. Because if you believe faith makes God move, then you're going to be looking for more faith. You don't need more faith. You have all, the, if you're a Christian, you have all the faith you're ever going to need for anything you, God's going to do with you. So let, let, me, let me help you now. Oh, God's trying to increase my faith. No, he's not. He's trying to increase your knowledge, but you've got plenty of faith. Because Jesus said, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. In other words, a little dabble, do you? You don't need more faith. You need more truth. Because if you put a little bit of faith in a whole bunch of truth, that's all you need. Faith does not get God to move. All faith does is access what God has already done. Faith is the point of access, not the point of power. 
The power is in what God has already done in grace when he deposited the divine life within you in seed form as the knowledge of God enters into that seed, that seed expands, and all you're doing with faith is withdrawing what grace has already put on deposit. So stop looking for more faith. You don't need more faith. The moment you act on what God says, that's all the faith you need. You got plenty of faith. So, so, so you got all the faith you need. Whatever growth your faith needs, it will get from the action you take, not by trying to conjure up more faith. Not by trying to, not by trying to whip it up. Just trying to whip up faith. When really all you're doing is whipping up emotion. You're not whipping up faith. He says, I want you to have the shield of faith. Faith is your access point, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, faith gives you access to grace, and grace is where God has deposited everything he's going to do for you. Everything God is ever going to do for you, he's already done. He can't, he can't do anything more. So even when you say, God bless me, it's kind of a, I mean, we understand what each other means, but all the blessings he's ever going to give you, he's already given you. There's nothing new he can do for you. Your problem, my problem, is withdrawing it, not getting it. It's already given. Faith withdraws it. So here it is. Grace puts on deposit all of God's goodness on your behalf. Faith accesses the deposits. Work proves you're exhibiting faith. Work proves you're exhibiting faith. Faith access grace. Grace has on deposit what you're looking for. Works don't get grace because once you attach works to grace, it's no longer grace, Romans 11, 6 says. Once it's of works, it's no longer of grace. So works don't give you grace. Works just access faith, and faith accesses grace. That's how it flows. So, he says, put on the shield, this covering called faith. Faith is a law, Romans 3.27 says. It's a rule whereby you operate. He says, you're not only supposed to get saved by faith. He says, in Romans 1, you're supposed to live by faith. In other words, this is supposed to be the way you flow. You're supposed to have a faith walk. That's why the Bible calls it walking by faith. You're supposed to have a flow faith. It's supposed to be the way you, way you the, it's supposed to be your groove. It's supposed to be your zone. Supposed to be how you, how you, that your modus operandi. But it must be linked to truth. Now here's, here it is. Please notice this. I'm, I'm explaining faith. Faith, if you want it to be real, watch this now, cannot be limited to your five senses. If you limit faith to your five senses, it won't be real faith. It won't be real faith. Because we're talking about accessing the invisible realm, not the visible realm. So we're not talking about accessing the stuff you can see and touch and taste. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, it's not faith. If it's tangible and if it's moving in the physical realm, it's not the faith God is talking about. That's just human faith anybody can have. Anybody going to believe something that they're looking at? I believe you're sitting there. How come? Because I see you. 
That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. He's saying it's the evidence, it's the substance, so it's real. Even though it's in the spiritual realm, it's real. And it has evidence, it's provable, but it's not yet seen. The whole point of faith is to grab something out of the unseen realm and bring it down to the visible realm. So you never start with what you see to determine whether you have faith. That's called sight. It's a whole other word. And because we don't live by faith, in other words, because that's not how we roll, that's not our flow, we don't see much grace. He says, in addition to all, above all things, take on the shield of faith why do I need this shield of faith? Faith, faith, faith. Acting like God is telling the truth. Acting like it is so even when it's not so in order that it might be so simply because God said so. You go to the doctor because there's typically something wrong you can't fix. Because usually you started off with over-the-counter. You started off with human ability. You started off with your own mind could conjure up. You started off with what you could take care of yourself. So you went to the doctor and you got, went to the pharmacy, you went to Walgreens or some other pharmacy and you got some, you know, uh, uh, something for your stomach, antacid, or you, you got something because you were going to do the best you can to make life better. But your best wasn't working. So you call the doctor. You tell the doctor, Doc, I've got a problem. My stomach hurts. The doctor's going to hear your call, but he's not going to take for granted your problem. He's not going to assume what you think is wrong is what's wrong. Now, you've talked about how you feel because you've talked about the pain. But in his mind, there could be something else causing what you think is a stomachache. So he's going to do a battery of tests to ascertain the truth about what's really wrong, creating the pain that you're now experiencing. Because all you know is the pain. You don't know what the real problem is yet until somebody who knows more than you assesses the situation who can tell you what the truth is about what you feel. All you know is I feel a little something something but obviously I don't know enough because I couldn't fix it. So I'm going to you doc for you to tell me what the real deal is. I need the truth. Why? Because until you get the truth you can't fix the problem. See as long as you're satisfied with anti-acids and that's not your problem then you're not dealing with the truth, although you think you're dealing with the truth. You're just dealing with limited knowledge. But the doctor has information you don't have. He comes out and he, he says, oh, this is the problem, which was more than just a general upset stomach. He says, this is the problem. He pulls out a sheet of paper called a prescription, and he writes on it words you do not understand. In fact, if you can read his writing, he's not a real doctor. Because one of the ways you know a real doctor is a real doctor is he can't write. You have this piece of paper and he says, take this. 
for your real problem because those antacids you were taking is not your real problem. Take this. Maybe he's discovered an ulcer. You take a piece of paper that you don't understand to a pharmacy. The, you give it to the pharmacist whom you do not know. The pharmacist goes back there with a whole bevy of medicines and starts putting your stuff together. That man could be putting strychnine <laughs> and giving it to you because you don't know. The only reason you're doing this is you know he's qualified. You know, he, he's got a qualification. You, you don't know it based on what you're seeing because what you're seeing may not be what it really is. And you don't even understand the paper, so you can't even test what he's doing by what's written in the paper. You've got to believe that what he is offering is what's on the paper. So you've taken the prescription, you've gone to the pharmacist, he's given you the medicine. Now you've done all that, you still got an upset stomach. And the reason why you have an upset stomach is the reason it was written and the reason you went to the pharmacy wasn't to get it, read it, and deliver it. It was to get it, read it, deliver it, get it, and take it. Until you take it, you've not fulfilled obedience. And if you don't fulfill obedience, you're not going to get better. Because your way was solving the symptom, not solving the problem. See, many of us, we come to church and we get the word and we say, well, I don't understand all that. I don't understand all that. I haven't studied Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. and I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't fully understand all that, but I know the one who gave it knows what he's talking about because he's a pro, he's a doctor. If there is no acting on what's prescribed, there is no faith that has been exhibited, and if there is no faith that has been exhibited, stop complaining to the doctor, his stuff not working. We've got a lot of people complaining to God, your way doesn't work and we haven't taken pill first. Well, we took one pill and there are 20 in the bottle. He said, take one every four hours, we take one every four days and wonder why it's not working. Because we have not exhibited faith. Faith is not a feeling, faith is not a discussion, faith is an action taken based on the authorization of somebody who knows what he's talking about. Last time I checked, God knows what he's talking about. Why do you do this? So that you will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Ah, ah. He says, the reason you do this, the reason why faith, that shield that you ought to crouch behind, because it can handle anything thrown your way. All the fiery darts of the devil. Notice, not all the darts or arrows. The word dart means arrows. The Roman shield is made of wood, but it's wrapped in leather or some kind of animal skin. When they went out to war, they dipped it in water. They knew that people were going to throw spears at them and that they were going to shoot at them. And that some would dip their tip of their arrow in pitch and light it. That's why he calls fiery arrows. That's an arrow that's been set aflame. He says... The shield of faith is so strong that not only can not arrows get you, arrows that's been put on fire can't even burn you down. 
He says the shield of faith is staggering. Why? Because faith enters into the realm of grace and accesses God at a whole nother level. It accesses God. That's why 1 John 5, 4 says we are overcomers by faith. In order to be an overcomer, there's got to be something to overcome. Maybe you're trying to overcome joblessness or uh, uh, finances or emotional fire of the mind or emotional depression or maybe it's relational fires that you're going through or maybe it's sin and temptation that has set you aflame. Whatever the fire happens to be, he says, faith can put it out. Faith can put out the fire. But you've got to define faith God's way, not your way. Any weightlifter who can lift 500 pounds doesn't have a problem with 100 pounds. If, if you can lift 500 pounds and somebody says, well, can you lift this 100-pound bag? Ain't nothing but a thing because if you can handle 500, 100 is no big deal. On the cross, Jesus Christ handled the sins of the whole world. The whole world, for all people, for all time, all sin was pinned on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross. All the sins of all mankind for all world was put on Jesus Christ on that day. So if he could handle all the sins and all the circumstances of all men for all time, what did you tell me your problem was? What did you tell me your situation was? What did you tell me your need was? And you're going to imply the God who can handle it for the whole world on the cross, yours is a little bit too heavy. No, what's missing is faith in it, not power for it. What he is suggesting to us is that if we will take faith seriously as God defines it, you will experience victory as you've never had it before. I will never forget it. I will never forget it. This is lodged in my mind. The 1996 Olympics. Her name was Carrie Struggs. She was a gymnast, a little tiny girl. The United States gymnast team was in second place. Carrie Struggs was the last gymnast to go, and she had to make a certain score to overcome the first place team. I don't remember whether it was Romania or Soviet Union, but whoever it was, they had, that she had to do a this certain nine point something to overcome so that the United States would win the gold medal. So all the pressure is on little Carrie. Carrie stands and Carrie looks down because she has to vault. She has to go, propel herself, flip over the horse, and come back down standing up to get a high enough score. Little Carrie takes off and she's running. She hits the spring. She hits the horse. She flips over and she comes down, but she comes down wrong. And she horrifically twists her ankle so that she cannot even walk. She falls down, she cannot even walk, low score. You can hear the hush over the crowd, particularly of the Americans, oh no, you can see her team wince. And Carrie began to weep. 
because this whole thing is riding on her. She has one more jump, one more jump, but she can't walk. And to do this, you got to be able to run, jump, hit, put pressure down and jump, flip, and you got to land standing up to get a high enough score to win. She's got one more jump. So she's there weeping and trying to, trying to stand up, barely can stand up on the one leg, can't put any pressure on the second leg. Over in the corner was her coach, Bella Corolla, the famous gymnast coach. He looked at Carrie crying because they couldn't go meet. He says, Carrie, look at me. Don't take your eyes off of me. You look at me. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain, but you keep your attention focused on me. You, you look at me right now. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. I know you can't walk. But girl, you look at me because I want to tell you you can do it. I know you don't think you can. I know you're hurting. You can barely walk. I don't, but no, don't look at your foot. Look at me. Don't look at your circumstance. I know because if you look down there, all you see is more defeat. I want you to keep your eyes on me. Now you go back there, girl, and you do this thing one more time, but when you go back there, your full attention is to be on me. Little Carrie goes around, limps to the starting place, and you can see her cast her eyes over to her old coach to look at him because she's got to piggyback off of his faith because her circumstances don't give her the power to piggyback off of hers. But in her pain and her anguish, she now looks down, half running and half hobbling. She makes her way down. Some of you saw it. She leaps up. She flips over the horse. She comes down, whop, boom. She goes, whop, boom, immediately lifts up this hand. After both feet have landed, she lifts up this foot. She stands there wiggling, but stands in place. The place goes absolutely crazy because she landed on two, even though she could only stand on one. And the United States gymnastics team won first place. You know why they won? Because there was somebody in the corner who said, don't look at your situation. Don't look at your circumstance. I know you feel it. I know it's real, but keep your eyes on me. I think if the author of Hebrews here would say, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He would say, don't look at your situation. You can't ignore it because it hurts. Because if you'll keep your eyes on me, even if you got the limp, you're going to land right and you're going to be able to hold your ground. The shield of faith. Running on the truth will give you the ability to overcome the attacks.